Hey guys, and welcome back to another uh, brief review. Uh, this time over Conquering the West, right, of the American Yacht. Um, so again, a lot of the stuff we have talked about, but there are some issues that are, uh, you know, brought a little bit more into light by the yacht than uh, I did so during, definitely during my lecture. So again, happy just to uh, clarify anything and to hopefully give you uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, content to uh, help you with your module quiz. Alright guys, so, you know, with the West, again, the big kind of theme overall, right, is the allure of land in general, right, for farming, for you know, still a little bit of this kind of a view of manifest destiny and the economic opportunity and progress that comes with all that land available out West. Uh, you have, of course, efforts by the government, right, such as the Homestead Act um, of 1862, which kind of promoted, uh, you know, white settlement of especially the Great Plains and all for almost for free, right, uh, other than a small filing fee, um, you know, people had a chance to settle great parts of the American Great Plains. In some of the issues, though, the land is very, very difficult to farm. So a lot of times those land holdings weren't enough to yield a real productive, you know, crop from that, right? Those 160 acres or, or, or so. So that was so, were some of the problem. But even with that, you had, uh, you know, over a half a million claims made under the Homestead Act, right? Where the government is almost giving away land for free. Uh, again, you know, one big dominant part of the American Yop is the situation or the kind of relations with Native Americans, right? Especially those uh, Native Americans of the Great Plains regions or the Plains natives. Again, very warlike, tend to be a little bit more aggressive, very nomadic, dependent on the buffalo, right, uh, for their way of life, as well as the horse. So groups like the Sioux, the Comanche, the Kiwa, um, you know, and many, many others that made up those Great Plains Native Americans. Um, you know, some of the kind of important uh, events, right, the Sand Creek Massacre, as well as the massacre at Wounded Knee, get Sand Creek, I believe, Colorado, Wounded Knee, I believe, South Dakota. But both of these contribute to, you know, kind of an onset of violence and or, you know, the resolution of many years of violence on the part of, you know, the Native Americans versus the American army or American settlers. Um, you also have in the American Yacht the very tragic situation of Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce, right? And the Nez Perce, uh, maybe one of the more dominant Native American groups from the Northwest U.S., you know, what is today... Washington, Oregon, and those places. And, uh, you know, they have a very dramatic, um, you know, hot and cold relationship with the American government, culminating with Chief Joseph uh, trying to lead, you know, a few hundred families north to Canada to get away from the American army after the touch off of some violence in the region. And, of course, it's all made all the more dramatic and more impactful by they almost make it and they, uh, you know, have several skirmishes with the U.S. Army, which they actually do fairly well but end up getting stopped, I believe, in Montana, uh, you know, less than 50 miles or so from the Canadian border. And that's where uh, Chief Joseph gives his very powerful speech, kind of calling on you know, relations between the both groups and and a very powerful words. So again, that's Chief Joseph and the Nest Purse. Of course, a big part is also the railroad expansion out west, right? And the introduction of, of course, uh, you know, Chinese Americans in places like California, contributing to uh, you know, many industries from agriculture to the railroad to cigars and other areas uh, serving as a lot of the, you know, kind of labor force for many industries out west in California. Again, important, uh, you know, kind of pivot point is the completion of the Transcontinental Ra Railroad, right, at Promontory Point, Utah in 1869. So finally connecting both uh, east and west coast parts of the nation, right? And, you know, now a trip that used to take months and months can be done in, you know, about a week or so's time. So very, very impressive. And uh, we also see the rise of Chicago, right, as a big kind of industrial center. And a little bit of that related to the cattle drives and the big demand for beef out east, right? And then um, the Chicago businessman, Joseph McCoy, right, kind of realizing that Longhorns in South Texas, northern Mexico, 
can be purchased at bargain prices and then driven up by cowboys, right? Groups of maybe 8 to 15 cowboys taking them to railheads in places like Kansas, Colorado, uh, you know, Missouri, uh, and then transported to Chicago and then distributed back out east. So cattle drives get a key part of, you know, basically kind of from maybe mid-1860s through 1880s until, you know, you have barbed wire, more settlement of the plains, refrigeration technology and rail cars, you know, that kind of make cattle drives a bit obsolete. And then again, remember the kind of um, sort of mystification, right, of the, the cowboy. Again, this is a, you know, ranch hand or a ranching individual, has a lot of history with Mexico and Spain before it, as well as, you know, a tough job and one that, um, you know, tended to be, you know, maybe not the best paying, but very difficult uh, to do. And, uh, you know, they undertook a lot of responsibility, right, driving those, you know, thousands, in some cases, head of cattle, uh, you know, sometimes over a thousand miles up north. Again, a big uh, thing also in Native American relations uh, is the Dawes Act. Remember, this is the attempt of the government, 1887, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where the government is kind of trying to chip away at tribal life, right? And especially tribal land holdings is another part of this. But the goal was to instead, you know, assign plots of land to individual Native Americans and families. And in the results of that, in the results of those that were trying to offer, you know, things like American citizenship, but ended up in the, you know, uh, reduction and more and more reduction of those Native American land holdings on those reservations. So again, that is the Dawes Act. Again, an effort at assimilation as well as in the stripping away of more and more of that Indian reservation territory. Uh, one thing we didn't discuss in class, the ghost dance. This is something uh, pretty prominent, you know, during the, these last years or the last part of the 1800s that showed kind of a resurgence, you know, in a way what the ghost dance was on reservations and so forth was kind of a resurging, you know, sense of identity for Native Americans. And something that was, you know, provided a, you know, a different way for them to de- kind of defy the American army and defy the American government. And to the point where eventually these things are kind of like banned by the American government. It seems kind of a rallying cry. So again, those are the ghost dance ceremonies or the ghost dances. Um, as far as the West place in popular culture, especially for those people back East, right? You know, in some cases seen as uncivilized, seen as a land of opportunity, of wilds, of, you know, Native Americans, of, uh, you know, stuff that is, you know... Uh, you know, a great kind of American desert and the bison, and it almost becomes kind of romanticized in Eastern society. And what helps kind of a little bit promote this and celebrate it are these Wild West shows, specifically one that's founded by the former great hunter, right, William Cody or Buffalo Bill Cody, and, uh, you know, almost like a traveling sort of Western-themed circus, right, with people doing trick shots, Native Americans doing ceremonies and other things, uh, and so forth. Um, you know, the chapter kind of closes with the frontier thesis, uh, this is a really popular, uh, made by a really popular American historian in the 1890s named Frederick Jackson Turner, who basically kind of claims that, you know, the importance of, um, like, the whole frontier experience, right, of pushing the country out west and these new industries and that sense of American individualism is kind of key to the overall American experience and kind of makes us who we are as Americans, you know, the daring, the ambition, you know, the individualism. It's a really interesting kind of perspective, one that was really dominant for a long time in the U.S. history. Um, and other key things, right, uh, the expansion of Western territories and states. And sometimes that tends to be a little bit slower because of the makeup of some of those places. For instance, you know, in Utah, you had a majority Mormon population, right, for most of its history. Uh, same thing with New Mexico, but not Mormon, you know, more of the Hispanic population. So those places probably could have been states right off the bat. But, you know, some of the racial bias, right, the views of the time, uh, Anglo settlers got a chance to kind of, you know, become the majorities in those places uh, and overtake those groups before they were allowed 
uh, to become, you know, full-on states. Uh, let's see, some other kind of issues or any other topics. Uh, I think that covers most of it. Again, keep in mind some of the big things like the, uh, you know, situation for the Sioux, right, and the discovery of gold in the Black Hills of South Dakota, right, on their territory, which, again, just kind of, you know, makes it a beacon for a lot of Anglo settlement and eventually, you know, the breakout of violence between the uh, Sioux uh, Nation as, and then the American military. So at least uh, that great defeat at the Battle of Little Bighorn and, you know, uh, offsetting of violence and stuff. Um, I believe that uh, takes care of most of it. I'm glad I was able to get in under 10 minutes. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Good luck on your quiz. And we'll uh, talk to you next time.